So where are we in the story so far? It's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Ruth. We did chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so what's going on in the story of Ruth? That's a, that's a question for you guys. Y'all are going to have to help me out. I promise, I promise you, if there's one night that you don't want to lecture, it's going to be tonight in chapter 3. So what's happened so far? What's the story? Met Boaz, right? So, yep, yep. The family redeemer. That's right. So, Lyle described to us all of chapter two. Basically, Ruth is going out into the field to glean. She met Boaz. God brought them together. He is the family, Naomi's family's kinsman redeemer. Uh, in chapter one, what happened? So, how did all this start? Famine, and what happened? What did Naomi's family do? They all left, and what happened to them in Moab? All the guys died. Her husband died. Her two sons died. Left all these widows, and the widows decided, Naomi decided, what are we going to do? We're going to go back. Go back to Bethlehem. They came back right as the barley was being harvested, and what was Naomi's mindset at the end of chapter 1? Doom, despair, and agony on me. She was an episode of Hee Haw, wasn't she? Y'all didn't think I know what Hee Haw was. Yeah, she was bitter, basically. That was the word that's used in the scripture. She was bitter. In fact, she told the people of Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant uh, or gentle. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And she said, God has... He sent me away full and brought me back empty. She even said God testified against her by all the tragedy that had happened to her. Um, And then, as Lyle said, uh, Ruth takes it upon herself to go and glean in the field, which means that was a law in Israel where the poor, the widow, the foreigner could go out into the field and the edges of the field and whatever was dropped on the ground or the things that were left on the stalks. Uh, were to be left there for the poor, for the widows, for the foreigners, and they were a- able to get those. So Ruth decides that she's able to do that. She goes and uh, Boaz notices her. We are told Boaz is one of their kinsmen redeemers. Remember what a kinsman redeemer is? Huh? No idea? You want me to just tell you? You want me to quit playing games and just tell you? Okay. Uh, Kinsman redeemer is if, if a person, if a man dies and leaves a widow, the kinsman redeemer was part of his family. He was to come marry the widow, have children, and the children would be the dead man's children. They would get his inheritance. So the, the kinsman redeemer wasn't fathering, it was thought, his own children who would have his inheritance. He was fathering the deceased family members' children, and so they would receive his inheritance and the deceased member's family name would continue in Israel. And we're told that Boaz is a, f- a kinsman redeemer for Naomi, uh, her husband Elimelech, who had passed away. And so Ruth goes out and we were told she just so happened to wind up in the field of Boaz, who just so happened to be kinsman redeemer. And we talked through all these things showing that it was God that was bringing them together. Uh, that God was... Um, Uh, providentially working through all of this. Boaz notices Ruth. Uh, Boaz asks about Ruth and her story is told to him by one of his servants. 
And he comes to her. He calls her daughter. He provides for her. He protects her. He says, follow my, my servant women around. Make sure you stay with them. I've told the men not to touch you. Uh, and we talked about the fact that this is not the quintessential love story that a lot of people say that it is. This is not Boaz seeing this. Boaz is an older guy. Ruth is a young, uh, presumably attractive lady. And Boaz is just all smitten and love struck. And this, that's not the picture that we see. He's treating her like he would his daughter. And he tells her why. Because she is honorable. She is honoring the family. All of what you have done by coming back with Naomi. Naomi's family, with Naomi after all the husbands died, uh, was an act of honor. And he tells her in chapter 2, that's why this is happening. And he has this little phrase at the end. He said, may the Lord bless you under whose wings you have taken refuge. So we see that Ruth has, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, taken refuge under the God of Israel. She's left the Moabites, left their gods and all those things. And she's taking refuge under the God of Israel. That's going to be important. So he provides for her. He gives her a bunch of grain to take back to Naomi. Uh, and now chapter 3 begins. Things are going to start moving toward God's intended goal for this story. What is God's goal in bringing Boaz and Naomi and Ruth and all these people together? Is it just because God loves great love stories? Perhaps he does, I don't know. But that's not why. What's God's goal? What's, what's, we know what the end is going to be. What's the point of the book of Ruth? The genealogy. Tell me why, the genealogy. God is bringing the, this outcast, foreigner, Moabite woman. Remember, Moab, Moabites were the enemies of Israel. He's bringing her into Israel in order that she would be the grandmother of David, the king of God's chosen king of Israel, and ultimately the ancestor of the Messiah. It's a picture of God moving toward, working all things toward the salvation of his people. And so that's what this is about. So we're going to see that start to, start to come together a little more in chapter 3. Now, I want to warn you before we begin chapter 3. This is one of the most controversial chapters. It is the most controversial chapter in Ruth. So there's a lot of different views about what's happening here. And so we're going to talk about those. I'm going to tell you what I think, and you can tell me what you think, and we can agree or we can agree to disagree. It doesn't really matter to me as long as we keep that in focus that what we're talking about here is God bringing about, working through the individual lives and individual circumstances of individual people to bring about his purposes of salvation through his people. There are going to be some questions that you ask that I do not have the answer to, okay? So don't, don't, don't feel bad if you, if, if you say, well, what about this? And I say, I don't know. Uh, that's just going to that's gonna happen. This is a very, very difficult chapter. Not difficult in the sense that, oh, we, we just don't understand. It, it's difficult in the sense that there's a lot of things happening here that we don't have a lot of cultural background for. We don't really know why. Uh, so we're going to talk about all that stuff. Are you ready? Ready or not? Here we go. All right, let's read. We're going to read the whole chapter. And then we're going to back up and take it a few verses at a time. Okay? All right, here we go. It says in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1, 
says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Remember, she went out to the field with his young women to glean. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak, it's the outer garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. That's Naomi's plan. And Ruth replies, all that you say I will do. And then she enacts the plan. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning I will redeem you. <coughs> if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. If not, but if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So he lay at his feet, she lay at his feet till morning. We're having trouble reading here. But arose before one could recognize another, and he said, let it, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. Last, the last scene is back with her and Naomi. It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, it's a new piece of information here, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Okay? Everybody understand what happened? Huh? You don't what? You don't understand? Or do understand? I need to explain it? That's what I'm here for. I don't, but I've already told you, there, there are going to be some things that there, I just don't know the answer to. So let's take it apart and look at it just one, one piece at a time. So in verses 1 through 5, it's Naomi hatching a plan and telling Ruth the plan, right? Verse 1 says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now this shows, there, there's a lot of assumptions we can make about things that may seem lewd or seductive or, you know, ha have that kind of deal. But we really have to take the context for what it says and we have to see the characters in this story the way that the author presents them to us. So let's face it. If a mother-in-law is telling her daughter this, it sounds kind of risque and it sounds like, you know, it's kind of a, uh, let's just call it an immoral plan.
But verse 1 tells us that Naomi's reason for this plan seems to be for her daughter-in-law's good. So she's seeking rest for her that it would be well with her. Uh, remember, we talked about Naomi's bitterness at the end of chapter 1. And then it seemed like Naomi's bitterness um, uh, went away as she realized that Boaz is here. He's a kinsman redeemer for our family at the end of chapter 2. And it seemed like it gave way to some hope. And now at the beginning of chapter 3, it seems like that hope is turned to concern for Ruth, concern for others. She is focused on rest for Ruth. What kind of rest, based on what we know about this story, what, kind, what is the rest that she desires for Ruth to have? Yeah, security, a home, husband, family, all of those things, you know. Children, being accepted into Israel, marrying into Israel, you know, the family line, uh, continuing in Israel, you know, so she seeks rest and rest is seems to be a theme in this chapter because at the beginning it says, Ruth, I'm seeking your rest and all of this plan takes place. And at the end, the last verse says, now Boaz is not going to rest until he gets this done. Uh, and so she lays out her plan. We see the motivation. I'm seeking your well-being. I'm seeking your rest. And then she lays out her plan saying, is not Boaz our relative, kinsman redeemer, we've already talked about it, whose young women, who, with whose young women you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. She tells her to wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So, first of all, Naomi sees an opportunity here. We find out that the harvest is over now, and now is the time for winnowing barley. So, when they came back to Bethlehem, what was going on? What time was it? It was the harvest time. Whether it was the beginning of the harvest or the harvest was going on, we're not sure. And then Ruth in chapter 2 goes out and the harvest is going on. Now we see that the harvest is over and it's time that the, the, the barley is being winnowed on, on the threshing floor. You know what winnowing barley is? You know the process? Do I need to explain that? Okay, so this, is, this might be germane to the story and it may not. So this might just be a, a side note for you. They would, the, the threshing floor was often on a hill and the wind, it was an open air pavilion kind of thing, and the wind would pass through it on, uh, because it was uh, up high. And what they would do is they'd take like a winnowing fork, and they would basically just toss the, toss the grain and the, uh, the barley stuff up in the air, and the heavy grain would fall to the ground, and the chaff would blow away with the wind. So they were just kind of doing that to separate, to separate the grain from the chaff. And so they would do it, a lot of times they'd do it at night because that's when the, the night breezes would be, would be the most. Uh, that's what they say anyway. Uh, and so during this winnowing process, uh, it, was, it was quite common actually for the men to stay late into the night working. That was when the wind was the highest. Uh, but they would also sleep there because they're guarding the grain. You know, this is all the grain. This is the, this is the crop. This is they're guarding those things. So Naomi sees this as an opportunity, a perfect time to get the wheels moving. I don't know this for sure. It could be that on this day, Naomi was in the field and had just met Boaz. And on the next day, Naomi says, oh, okay, go grab him at the, at the threshing floor. 
But it also could be that, that Ruth has been with Boaz in his fields and gleaning in his fields for quite some time. It could be weeks or months because the harvest was going on. Now the harvest is over and it's, and it's winnowing time. And so it could be that Naomi has been waiting on Boaz to make his move and he hadn't done it yet. So now she's just telling, telling Ruth, okay, we're about to do something. Y'all still with me? Okay. Now... This is the plan that she has for Ruth. Ruth is to prepare herself, go to where Boaz is sleeping, uncover his legs, lay down, and then let him take it from there. Now, there's a lot about this plan that we don't understand. So I'm going to give you a couple of different viewpoints at each point. Now, there's some that, of course, see just overt sexual seduction. You know, Naomi wants Ruth to seduce Boaz in the middle of the night at the threshing floor. Now, there are definitely, just in, in the plan itself as you read it, there are definitely some risque overtones going on around here. But, but I think this is just a plan to secretly inform Boaz of Ruth's desire to marry and request him to be her kinsman redeemer for the family. As we talk about these instructions, I'm going to give you a couple of different theories and reasons why I think that, and, and you can just tell me what you think. We can discuss it because we, we don't really know for sure. The first thing she tells Ruth is to prepare yourself, you know, wash yourself, anoint yourself. And of course, many people see that as just, come on, Ruth, you know, make yourself pretty so you can attract him. You know, you don't want to go down there looking like a hobo. You want to go... You want to go as beautiful as you can make yourself so he will be seduced by you. It's possible. But it's more logical to me, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, that Naomi is, also, is, is advising Ruth to end the time of mourning for her husband. To, to stop the, the sackcloth and ashes, to stop the widowhood, if you want to say it that way, and present herself now as eligible to marry. Y'all, what do you think? Yeah. Think that's better? Yeah. At each, at each, one, one second, Jill, and I'll call on you. At each point, we're going to see the things that happen, the things Naomi tells her to do, and the things Ruth does. At each point, you're going to have really two choices. There are two or three in, in some sections, but one is putting the... Uh, is making it seem like it's, it's seductive and it's sexual and it's, uh, you know, all, the, all that kind of stuff. And the other is that it is uh, an honorable thing. Uh, and if you take both of those and you can look at the list, it, it could be this, it could be this. But the way that Boaz and Ruth are presented throughout this book is honorable. God-fearing, God-loving, integrity, doing things for others, uh, sacrificing themselves for others. So if for no other reason, if we can't figure it out from the context of the passage itself, I don't think that the author of Ruth could present these characters the, this way and have this just sexual seduction scene going on right here in Israel when the whole point is to say that Israel during the time of Judges was doing what was right in their own eyes. But while this is happening, you have this God-fearing, integrity-filled man and you have this sacrificial, honorable woman and God is bringing them together. Everybody understand? So I'm going to put the best construction on every time. Jill, do you have a question? Yeah. 
uh, put perfume on. Yeah. So it wasn't like anoint, anoint the king or anoint the prophet. It meant, it meant perfume yourself. Some of your translations may say perfume. Yes. Yeah, that, that may be true. He said it's not like they were alone on the threshing floor. However, I think that Naomi's point was to catch Boaz alone because the, the risk in this, there's going to be significant risks because there's a lot of things bad that could happen. And the point of go down there, wait till he's asleep, wait till he's, wait till he's you know, eating and drinking and, and, and don't just go wake him up, you know, go uncover his legs and then wait for him, you know, the whole thing just, just seeps with do this secretly so that, uh, it could be a lot of reasons, reasons we just don't know. Re you know, it could be to save you embarrassment if he rejects you, to save him embarrassment if the, you know, because the threshing floor, if you look at Hosea 9, the threshing floor was a common place for prostitutes to go and ply their wares to the men that were working. So she could be seen in a very, very negative light if it was discovered she was there. And further in the text, he says uh, to wake up, before, wake up before dawn and make sure nobody knows that there was a woman here at the, at the threshing floor. So we're, we're just not sure. Yes? It says, it says uncover his Well, the, the word technically, yeah. The next thing Naomi says is to uncover his legs. Okay? Now, to your point, there have been many interpreters and even Hebrew scholars that say, and I can't deny it, it is a fact, the word that is used does have, does have sexual overtones in other places in the Scripture. Um, there have been many that have said, when, he's, when it says here in Ruth, legs, it doesn't really mean legs. You know what I'm saying? As far as I'm going, so you better get it or you don't. <laughs> it means to uncover him, you know? Uh, That's another possibility. Barbara said Naomi may have had some not so noble motives, but Boaz turned out to be an honorable man and didn't, uh, and didn't act on, on those things. I think some of those questions are going to be answered in the way that Boaz answers what Ruth does and says to him. So we'll get there. Um, the other viewpoint about uncovering the legs is there are lots of viewpoints. There's only two really I find credible. Uh, one is that it was lewd and it was uh, overtly sexual. Um, the other is, and I don't believe that one because Ruth was honorable. She was faithful through the book. She seemed to be that way, so I'm not going there. But uncovering his legs. Some think it was, there are other people that think that this was a customary way to request marriage. I have a hard time buying that because if that's so, this is the only place where we ever see that custom. There's no other literature that talks about that custom. So I don't think that's it either. Um, another view is they, some people think that 
The idea is he's asleep. Don't go wake him up, but uncover his legs so the draft of the night will wake him up and he'll stir himself. And when he wakes up by himself, he'll look around and say, oh, there's a woman there. I don't know. That's all I got for you. <laughs> That's all I got for you. I don't know. The idea, the idea, yes. I just wonder if uncovering his feet would be a sign of submission that she's wanting his protection. It may be. It may be. She said, I'm wondering if the uncovering of his feet or uncovering of his legs would be kind of a sign of submission that she's laying next to his, his legs or next to his feet. Uh, and, and that's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. Um, my, my, and I don't know the answer. Uh, my, my question, though, is why not wake him up? Yeah. So and the then, part of this, though, don't you think, is Naomi knows about this whole situation and knows about the, the traditions and, and, and what they expect to do in, in terms of the, keeping the family of Israel Oh, I guarantee it. Yeah, yeah we talked about this for sure. Boaz knows that he is a kinsman redeemer for Naomi, for he sure. He knows that his relative Elimelech is gone. Is dead. Yes, he yes. He, for sure. Yeah, and, yes, he also knows that there's one closer. Yes, yes. So whatever we decide, whatever we understand the uncovering of the legs to mean it cannot be a lewd sexual seductive thing because when Boaz wakes up and sees what she's done he blesses her and he says you have done an honorable thing you, this kindness is greater than your other kindness so whatever it is it can't be it can't be some just you know gross immoral thing it has to be it has to be either a sign for her submission to him in marriage or, you know, it has to be something that would cause him to wake up and say, you've done an honorable thing here. So that's the way that I'm going to see it. And since I have the microphone, that's the way we're all going to see it. <laughs> so last thing that, <laughs> yes. So I was going to say later he calls her a worthy woman. Yes. Which is, a, you know, for sure. She was doing something wrong. Absolutely. And if you're doing something impure, that's not the kind of response. Right, absolutely. And we were told at the very beginning, Boaz is a man of integrity, a man who fears God. He would not bless her, nor would he call her honorable if this was something dishonorable that she was doing. So I, I just can't go there. I think it is an honorable act. We may not understand all the minutia of the culture, of what it means, but we know that it's not you know, something immoral. Um, so we, yeah, we're going to be here a long time. I think we're still in Naomi's instructions. We're going to move a little quicker as we get, as we get going. So what we can for say for sure is Boaz doesn't see it as something, uh, provocative. Um, now this, um, uh, this plan, uh, is presented 
by Naomi to Ruth, and we, we saw Ruth's motivation, uh, Naomi's motivation is trying to help Ruth find rest, so it would be well with her. Ruth, Naomi seems to have Ruth's good in mind in doing this, so we have to take it through that lens, but you can imagine with this, with this plan, you know, go and do these things and lay down, and when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. There's a whole lot that can go wrong right here, isn't it? What are some of the things that could go wrong as Ruth enacts this plan? She said Ruth might fall asleep. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks for that. Yeah. So what if, what, if, what if Boaz is not such a noble man as they think? What would happen? Yeah, yeah, it, would, it could be very, very bad for Ruth. In, in this deal. So, or Boaz, who is noble and moral and God-fearing, could wake up and say, how dare you come to me and, and present this at the threshing floor where all the prostitutes gather. What kind of woman are you? And her reputation, which is already, it's, she has a reputation as a worthy woman because she is of, because of what she's done for Naomi. But remember, she's still a Moabite. She's still a foreigner. I mean, he could, he could cause a lot of, of uh, trouble for He could scandalize Ruth. She came to me just like all of the other harlots come to men at the threshing floor. You know, it says that in Hosea chapter, chapter 9. He could accuse her of something. Or he could just refuse her request and mock her. You know, I'm not marrying a Moabitess. Are you crazy? I'm not doing anything. I mean, a lot of things could happen. Uh, a lot could go wrong. This was a very delicate plan with a lot of risk. Why would Naomi think that the risk is worth it? I don't have an answer. I'm just asking your opinion. Security. Security for Ruth? Yeah. And you think maybe she has faith in Boaz's integrity? Yes. That he is a man of integrity? That he is a God-fearing man? Yes. Yes. We're going to read that here in a minute, will you? Oh, okay. No, you go ahead. All right. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Mm -hmm. So Moab is talking to Naomi. I mean, taking to Ruth. I mean, to Ruth. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay, so she might have even shared that with Naomi. Maybe so. I mean, yep. Reassurance to Ruth. Yep. At this time. Yep. In chapter two, what she said was in chapter two, Boaz gave Ruth this. Blessing, you know, may the Lord bless you under whose wings you've taken. And Ruth may have told Naomi that, so they know that uh, he's not only a God-fearing man, but with all the protection and provision that he's given her, uh, he he has acted honorably toward her uh, in providing for her because she is, of course, taking care of Naomi. So, verse five tells us Ruth said, "Okay, I'll do that." I don't know why I thought that's amazing. That's just amazing. That's just... Wait, you want me to do what? No, she said, all you say that I'll do. And so the next section, the plan goes into action. And it's basically the same thing that Naomi said. So we'll just read it real quickly. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor. She did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Uh, then she came softly, uncovered his feet, and she lay down. Now, that's verse 6 and 7. So far, so good. But here's where it gets interesting. 
This is where he wakes up and Ruth makes her proposal. Pay close attention to what she says. He says, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. That's why some people think it's uncover the legs so the draft will wake him up, you know, maybe. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Some of your translations, you've got NIV in front of you. It will say, spread your garment over, over your servant. Um, the word, the Hebrew word can mean garment or it can mean wings. Some take it to mean garment. Some take it to mean wings. Uh, and some take it, the ones who say that it means garment here, um, take it to be a euphemism for marriage. You know, spread your garment over me, marry me. You know, and I guess that's possible. But whatever translation you take it to mean, it's the exact same word Boaz said to her in Ruth 2.12. 2, if you have NIV, it's translated garment here, but it's translated wings there in Ruth chapter 2. You remember how Ruth, Ruth uh, was blessed by Boaz in chapter 2? Linda just read it to us. He said this, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so now, in Ruth's proposal, I guess you'd call it, to Boaz, she uses the same language Boaz spoke to her. He said, you have come to take refuge under God's wings, and now she's saying, spread your wings over your servant, for you are the Redeemer. She repeats the same phrase. I think she's asking Boaz to be the answer to his own blessing. God, you've taken a refuge under God's wings, and now she's saying, spread your wings. You are to be the instrument God uses to give me refuge, is what, she's, what she might, might be saying. She's asking her Redeemer to redeem her. She's an outcast, she's a foreigner, she's a widow, she's helpless, she's poor. All she can do is glean from the scraps of the field. And she's asking her Redeemer for redemption. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus. <laughs> Come on. She said, Jesus, way to go, Susan. That's what you said. The answer is always Jesus in church. Yep. So there are some obvious you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say there's no romantic anything involved here uh, because Boaz is going to agree to marry her. And I'm not going to say, you know, there are some kind of risque overtones in what's happening here. But rather than trying to guess what this act means and what, it's, what, what, what she's uncovering and how it's supposed to look and all this stuff, we have to let the context interpret it for us. And as it's already been said, Boaz doesn't chastise her. He doesn't rebuke her. He, he doesn't see this as an invitation to have sex on the threshing floor. He sees this as an honorable act that Ruth does in covenant faithfulness for her family. He says in verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men whether rich or poor. What is, you remember the word for kindness that we talked about two weeks ago? Remember, I, I know you don't know what it is. It's a Hebrew word. Nobody, nobody speaks Hebrew in here, but you remember what we said? It's hesed. Yes, it is 
A word that is really hard to translate in English because it means so many things. It's translated as faithfulness, as covenant loyalty, as loving kindness, as uh, covenant love. All through the Old Testament, it, it includes all of these things. So he's not just saying to her, oh, you're really sweet. He's saying your covenant faithfulness, your covenant love uh, that you're showing here right now as you're doing this is greater than the covenant love you showed before. What, is, what covenant love did she show before? Naomi. Naomi, coming back with Naomi, being, being faithful to her family, though she could have gone back to her own people, even though her husband had died and her father-in-law had died. And that was what Boaz said. This is, you know, the whole town knows that you're a worthy woman. She had a reputation for this in the last chapter because of her faithfulness to her family. And he says, because you've done this, because you've come down here, you laid down next to where I sleep and you uncovered my legs and you for lack of a better way to put it, propose marriage uh, so that I would be your redeemer. He said, this faithfulness, this covenant love, this covenant loving kindness is greater than what you've done for Naomi in being faithful to the family when you came back to Bethlehem with her. Um, so rather than thinking it's just some lewd, gross, you know, seductive, whatever, he says, this is covenant faithfulness that you have exhibited here. And he blesses her in the Lord's name. May, the, may you be blessed of the Lord. When Lord is in all caps, what's the word? Yahweh, the, the covenant name of God. He blesses her in the Lord's name and he commends her kindness. Now, this, that, is, that is what he blessed her for in chapter 2 was her kindness to Naomi and all the things. Here is the kindness of her I mean, I don't know no other way to say it, but she's, she's sacrificing herself to marry the kinsman redeemer who will continue the line of her family name in Israel rather than going and marrying for love or marrying some young dude or, or marrying for money. You know, you find a young dude that's really uh, good looking and just happens to be poor. You know, I, I'm going to marry because I, I, I love him and, and he looks like Brad Pitt or whatever, you know, or... <laughs> Maybe the dude's not so handsome, but he's got a lot of bucks. You know, he's got a lot of cash. I'm going to marry him. No, she's chosen Boaz because Boaz will continue the line of their family in Israel. It's an act of covenant faithfulness to her family and to her God. And he commends her. He commends her for it. His point is that you've come to me because I'm a kinsman redeemer. You desire to be faithful to your dead husband's family and to your mother-in-law. And so Boaz is really taken aback by her faithfulness and her covenant loyalty to Naomi. He's floored by her, her worthy character. He mentioned it in chapter 2, but now, I mean, he, he is just taken aback by it. And he pledges to fulfill her request. In verse 11, it says, it says, um, Really? Josh, make the slide go. Thank you. What's wrong with this thing? And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. 
For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. You see what he's saying right there? So like this is, this whole chapter is everybody is now all of a sudden sacrificially focused on everybody else. Naomi's doing this for Ruth's rest. Ruth is engaging in this for Naomi and the family name to continue. And now Boaz is about to, Boaz says, I'm going to do this because everybody knows you're a worthy woman. He's about to marry a Moabitess. He's about to take a Moabitess into his family, into Israel. He's about to marry. Remember, we talked when they went to Moab. Why would you go to Moab? Moab was the enemy of Israel at the time. He's about to marry a Moabitess because of her covenant faithfulness and because of her character. She is a worthy woman and everyone knows it and sees it in the way that she uh, is out and about gleaning in the field, taking care of Naomi, taking care of this family that technically she doesn't really have any ties to. Remember, Naomi tried to get her to go back home at the beginning. Go back home. And Ruth said, no, where you go, I go. Your people's my people. Your God's you're my God. I'm going to die where you die. Uh, he is, he is about to take a Moabitess, or pledging to take a Moabitess into his family uh, as a kinsman redeemer because of, um, because of her faithfulness. Um, and next we see, next we see that, that Boaz's actions, in his actions as he's done this, as he's woken up from a dead sleep and found this... Um, Let's just say prepared and anointed woman, young woman, at his feet. We see that he is an honorable and God-fearing man. He has shown integrity. He has shown uh, loyalty to the law of God, to the word of God. He's not taken advantage of this situation. But his integrity is magnified in the sense that neither... Neither does he improperly move to take her as his wife. He knows it wouldn't be right. Why? Because there's another kinsman redeemer who is more, who is closer to the family and by law deserves the first opportunity to redeem her. He said, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, as a pledge he's making, I will redeem you. Lie down till morning. So he gives his promise. He will redeem her, or at least he will make sure that she is redeemed. Meaning she will marry this man and this man will father children for her dead husband's name to continue in Israel. Boaz is a man of integrity. And this also comes through as, as he tries to protect Ruth's honor. You know, as we've already said, the threshing floor during the time of the winning, it was a place where, where prostitutes Applied their trade during the nights when men would go out to winnow the grain. Boaz didn't want the wrong assumption to be made about this woman who came and laid down at his feet in the night. So in verse 14, he says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor to preserve her honor. She would need to be gone before daylight when people would recognize her. 
And then he gives her, he gives her provision, but he gives her, a, basically, this is what I think. So, and I'm willing to take correction if we don't all think that. He gives her a pledge of his promise to see that this matter is going to be resolved. Verse 15, he says, bring the garment that you're wearing and hold it out. A lot of people, when it says, put on your garment and go down, they think it's like some, you know, some lewd garment to seduce. No, it's an outer garment that she takes off to hold the grain on her way back. He says, hold it out. So she held it out. He measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. We don't know what six measures is. So there's different kind of measurements. Uh... I mean, it could be, you're going to think this is funny, but it could be anywhere from eight pounds of barley to 300 pounds of barley. And if Ruth is carrying 300 pounds of barley, that is a worthy woman right there. <laughs> we, have, we, we don't know how much, we don't know what measure is being used here. So if it's an ephah, it's a whole lot of barley. Uh, we saw that. So... He's trying to protect Ruth's honor. He preserves her honor. He gives her the pledge. Uh, Boaz may have just sent this gift to Naomi as a sign that he's going to carry out, you know, carry through with the promise. Could be just, here's more provision. I know you guys don't have any food at home. It could be that as well. Um, uh, just don't know. There's no doubt that this scene on the threshing floor is filled with elements that could be perceived as sexually provocative. But as I said before, the narrator, even in this very scene, he consistently and constantly depicts both Ruth and Boaz as individuals of integrity, faithfulness, loyalty to God. Throughout this whole scene, neither Boaz or Ruth take advantage of each other um, in a time when, in time of the judges, when this is happening, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. God brings these two together through incredible providential circumstances to continue the line, his line, to bring forth David and ultimately the Messiah. Um, and it's just, it, it's just a picture of God's providence at work, not only in the nation of Israel to bring forth uh, the promised Messiah, but to do so using the everyday lives and everyday circumstances of these individuals who on Ruth and Naomi's end have just undergone such tragedy. Uh, and at the beginning, you know, Naomi was bitter thinking God had left her. And now you see, no, God has been working. He's been moving to bring you exactly where you need to be. So you find the exact person he wants you to find. He is your redeemer, your kinsman redeemer, so that your husband's line, the name is going to continue. And these two, Boaz and Naomi, we'll see in the last chapter, are going to be the grandfather of King David. So finally, at the end, you have Naomi's response to all this as Ruth brings all this back. It says, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, and here's a new piece of information that we weren't told by the narrator. Ruth tells Naomi that when Boaz gave her this grain, this is why I think it was a pledge, he says, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. It's the same word, handed. I, I don't know why 
I don't know why there's, I don't know why that the translators are just, they have to, feel like they have to interpret the text. Just, just tell me what's there. It, it, it's not empty handed, it's empty. It's the same word that was used of Naomi at the very beginning. God sent me away full and he brought me back empty. And now Boaz, the redeemer, you can't go back empty to your mother-in-law. Uh, it, it really is a picture of the difference between Naomi's mindset at the beginning through all of this tragedy and now God bringing redemption through the kinsman redeemer and provision through the kinsman redeemer saying, uh, I think it's the... I think it's the text's way of showing us that no longer is Naomi or Ruth going to be empty. Uh, it's really just, really just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Um, Boaz's gift, I think, is a pledge that neither she nor Naomi is going to be empty anymore. He's going to fulfill his obligation. He's going to fulfill his pledge. And Naomi believes it as well because the last verse that we see in the chapter, he's not going to rest until this matter is settled. Here you see from the bitter lady, Naomi, at the beginning, who had gone through trial and struggle and torment and all of the bad things that had happened. Now you see a woman, not just with hope that things could be better, like we saw at the end of chapter 2. Now you see a woman with faith that this is all going to be taken care of. She, she doesn't say, you don't get a glimmer of hope like, God may be doing... No, she says, no, he's not going to rest until this matter's settled. This matter's going to be settled. You're going to be redeemed. She rests in faithfulness and the godliness of this Boaz, who she knows is a man of integrity, but on a more, uh, a more complete level, she's once again resting in the God of Israel, whom at the beginning she was bitter against and said testified against her, She's now not just showing hope, she's showing faith. They don't have what Boaz promised them yet. But they rest in the fact that their Redeemer will not rest until he redeems them. Can somebody say, Jesus, please? Is that not a picture? So in this chapter, we see three individuals among a nation of people who do what is right in their own eyes, who are acting on behalf of one another, who are faithful to the God of Israel, who are showing care for one another, even when there's no obligation to do so. Naomi doesn't technically have a legal obligation to make sure Ruth has rest. Ruth certainly doesn't have a legal obligation to make sure Naomi's provided for. And Boaz doesn't have not a legal obligation. It's what is right and it's what is commanded. But we're going to see that the nearest kinsman redeemer in chapter 4 said, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. None of them have obligations, but they are caring for one another. They are seeking one another's best. And they're doing so not because they're just... I mean, they are great people, they are honorable, they are, but they're doing so because they're faithful to the Lord in a sea of people that are doing what is right in their own eyes. So they're acting on behalf of the other. All, the faithful actions of these people, what we see ultimately is 
The faithfulness of God's providence working in the lives of his people, even in tragedy, even in suffering, even in, even in the mundane things of life. Ruth just so happened to be in the field at the right time, at the right place, where Boaz just happened to be in the same field. All of this working together for God to fulfill his purpose. Now, I said this is not a love story, it's not a romantic novel or anything like that. I am sure between Boaz and Ruth that there is love and attraction and infatuation and between I'm sure that there is. But at, at the heart of this, it's not technically a love story. It's a story of how God brought a, an outcast Moabite woman into the people of Israel to be the ancestor of his chosen king. And ultimately, how God works through the midst of a nation that does it what is right in his own eyes. When they've gone completely off the reservation, he still has his people, his faithful people that follow him. He still is in control of the events and using these individual lives, individual days, mundane circumstances to bring about his will and his salvation. Um, the saving of his people. It shows that even in the heartbreaking events of this life, our Redeemer will not rest until all things are accomplished. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay, let's pray. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for, um, we thank you for your hand in, um, and your spirit applying the scripture to our hearts. Even in books like Ruth and Esther, where the name of God is not mentioned at all, except on the lips of the characters, we see your hand and your will all through it. We see your salvation all through it. We see, we see your son all through it. God, thank you for the reminder that we constantly need that all things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. God, we have a hard time when I'm the one suffering, when I'm the one in hardship, when I'm the one that doesn't know how things are going to work out. I have a hard time believing that promise. Thank you for your word that assures it. Thank you for your spirit that guides us in it. God, thank you for the truth of your salvation and the truth that our Redeemer does not rest. And he has accomplished our redemption. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for your loving care and your loving kindness over us. God, help us to do your will. Help us to be faithful in all that we do to you. We do love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.